Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. What is Palm Sunday? Maybe this is your first time in a church or your first time in a long time in a church. Or maybe you grew up going to a church tradition that, that talked about palms or Palm Sunday, but really what does that actually mean? What, what's the point? And so if you are ever asked, what's the point of Palm Sunday? Here's the, the real quick answer. Palm Sunday means Jesus is the King. Okay, so let's say that together. Palm Sunday means what? Jesus is the King. And we're going to look at the first Palm Sunday. Now, it wasn't called Palm Sunday when it got started. Uh, it's known as the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we'll talk a little bit as why there's palms here this morning and uh, what that means. But the, the theme of this Sunday is that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the King. What I want to talk about today is worship, because I think Jesus is the King goes hand in hand with worship, that that we worship the king. So when I say the word worship, especially in this environment, probably most of our minds go to what we just did, singing, right? How many, where are my honest people at? How many, you hear worship, you think singing songs in church? Yeah, probably many of us, and a few are honest, and the rest of you are just too, too shy to say you believe the same thing we do, right? It's just common. We say worship, and we think, oh, I know what worship is. There's a worship team. There's worship music. There's songs we sing. And I want to just go to the dictionary, if I can, and just share with you what worship means if you were to, to go online and just say, define worship. That's all I did here. This is what we read. Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence, adoration, devotion, and honor. Worship is the feeling or expression of, say the four words with me, reverence, adoration, devotion, and honor. Now, I have a problem with that definition because I don't see the word song in the definition. <laughs> I don't see the, song, the word sing in the definition. I want to just broaden it for us this morning from this definition. Worship, how I always like to describe it, is worship is ascribing worth to someone or something. It's to give something a place of honor, a place of devotion, a place of reverence. So with that, I would suggest to you this. Everyone is a worshiper because everyone worships. Everyone is a worshiper. You don't think that because you don't have a good voice or because you're not on the worship team or because you don't sing songs. No, no, every, because we all do this, don't we? Don't get quiet on me now. You were just saying yes a minute ago. We all do this. Come on, you know how to show reverence to someone or something. You know how to honor someone or something. You know how to be devoted. So let me give you a few things that are easy for us to worship. Our careers. That we set it up as the thing that we live for, the thing that we find worth in, the thing that defines us, the thing that people say, oh, I, I value you because of what you do. It could be that you're not just grateful for your career, you're actually worshiping it. It gets a seat of worship. 
Now that might be hard for you if you're like, bro, I hate my job. Okay, so let's go here. Relationships. There's a person in your life that you, you honor them, yes, but if you're honest, you've ascribed so much worth to them that their words can shatter you or lift you up in a moment. That what they think of you has such, if I could use this word, control over you and weight on you, that you're living for them. And if you don't think that's possible, parents, do you know who you tend to do it with? Your children. And if your children are happy, then you're happy. But if your children aren't happy, you start to think things like, what have I done wrong? I must have failed them. And and it could be that we've put them in a place of worship. We're ascribing worth. Our careers, our children. How about this one? You want to get quiet? Politics. And I'm not saying anything else. (laughs) Because by the little murmurs of, mmm, mmm. You know you're in church when you hear some random people go, mmm, mmm. Yeah, I'll just leave that one alone. But you know, you know if you put your hopes and dreams in some political leader to say, this is what's gonna fix me, fix our country, fix everything, could be that you're worshiping. So today, as we look to the first Palm Sunday, the, the triumphal entry, I wanna explore four acts of worship that we see take place as Jesus enters Jerusalem. And these four acts of worship are not the only acts of worship, but I think it's so interesting that in one moment we see four different displays of worship. And my prayer for you is this, as we look at these different acts of worship, that the Holy Spirit might bring to the surface an act of worship that you've been neglecting that maybe you've been throwing in a different direction, not towards King Jesus. So what's really unique about the entry is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write about this moment because it's kind of a big deal. Jesus has been ministering. He has been teaching. He has been building followers and kind of advancing. People know him. And now he's going to enter Jerusalem. And what you and I have to understand before we approach the text is for the first century Jewish people, they were waiting for a Messiah, say Messiah. And that word means the anointed one, the Christ, the one they were waiting for and hoping for that the prophecies talked of. Now they knew the prophecies, but they confused the purpose of the prophecy. They knew that one would come riding in. They knew that a Messiah would come, a rescuer, but they politicized his position. They minimized it. They believed the purpose for the Jewish Messiah was to bring liberation from whoever was ruling them at the time. And at this time it's Rome. So they're waiting for a king. They're hoping for a king, but maybe the king they want is not the king they're about to get. Maybe they're not really worshiping the true king, but a king they've set up in their own hearts. Because if you're worshiping politics, your Messiah becomes a political Messiah. If you're worshiping relationships, your Messiah becomes a relational Messiah. So enter King Jesus. And here's, we're going to read from Luke. We're going to touch Matthew as well, but all the gospels speak of this moment. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is a very key place at this time. 
Jerusalem is the epicenter of worship for the Jewish people. This was the place where David once reigned as king. These are where, this is where kings sat. And Rome knows the power and the, the purpose of Jerusalem. They understand its value. It's why they've conquered it. So now Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage, you all know where Bethpage is, right? Is this Long Island or is this the Middle East? Where are we? And Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So how many disciples does Jesus send? Two. Okay, that's how Luke records it, that he sends two disciples ahead. And he tells them, go into this next village. I want you to find a colt that's never been ridden. I want you to untie it and I want you to bring it back here. And he gives one more word of instruction. Verse 31, if anyone asks you why you are untying it, say the Lord needs it. How many of you have been following Jesus long enough to know that sometimes Jesus says crazy things? That sometimes Jesus asks us to do things that does not make sense. I want you to forgive that person for what they've done. I want you to bless the person that is cursing you. I want you to love them. I want you to be radically generous. I want you to pray for those who come against you. Jesus often will ask us to do things that we cannot do apart from him asking and empowering us to do it. He will often ask us, my wife and I, we've walked through this many, many times in our marriage, in our lives, in our careers, in being here. When Jesus says, I want you to go, but that doesn't make sense. So for these two disciples, the mission is get the donkey. I want you to go get the donkey. And do you notice he gives them some detail, but there's also a good amount of ambiguity with what he's telling them. Like, I want you to just go into the next village. Okay. I want you to find a, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay. There's probably hundreds in the village, Jesus. And I want you to find one that's never been ridden on. Okay. I guess we'll have to ask around. Have you, have you been ridden on donkey? Have you been ridden on? Okay. We'll figure that out when we get there. And then I want you to untie it. Jesus, that's stealing. Have you not read the 10 commandments? And then I want you to bring it back here. Like there's something Jesus is asking them to do that doesn't quite make sense. And if you and I are not worshiping the king, then when he asks us to do something that doesn't make sense, we won't listen. Because we're probably worshiping something else. So imagine if these two disciples were worshiping the idol of comfort in this moment. This is kind of uncomfortable to go in and steal a donkey in Jesus' name. It's going to kind of mess with my reputation a little bit. If someone gets this on Instagram, like hashtag donkey thief, like lock your doors, tie your donkeys up tighter. This, if, they're, if they're worshiping comfort, they're not going to go. If they're worshiping approval of others, they're not going to go. And it says in the next verse, verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it. Now don't miss this. Just as he told them just as he told them. There's an act of worship that we see on display by these two disciples. Here's the first act of worship. It's this word, obedience. Obedience is worship. 
when we obey the Lord, we are worshiping him. Here's why. Here's what obedience says. Obedience says what you want matters more than what I want. What you, I will obey you. Come on, you know how to do this with your bosses, right? Students, you know how to do this with your teachers. It's not a wrong thing, but think of it. When you obey, when you listen to someone's instruction, oftentimes if there's a conflict of will, you say, you know what? I'm gonna listen because what you want in this situation matters than what I want. There's, there's obedience. So for these disciples, they could have had all the reservations. They could have had all the great excuses. But because they're worshiping the king, they say, you know what? We'll do it. It may not make sense. It, it may not prove to benefit us and our reputation, but we will say the word obedience. And here's what I've discovered when it comes to obedience. If God calls you to something, here's what you have to know. One, if he's calling you to it, he's with you through the process. He doesn't call you and leave you. If you're familiar with the story of Moses, when God called him after him being in the desert for 40 years, running from Egypt and God calls him back, he says, and I will be with you. So when God calls you to something, he says, I'm with you. And here's the great part too. He sees the outcome. He knew the donkey. He knew exactly which donkey he was sending them to. He wasn't hoping that there's, could you imagine if Jesus is like, I'm gonna send them Father, please let there be a donkey where they go, or this is not going to end well for them. He knew there would be a donkey there, unridden, tied up. I just want to challenge you with this, because maybe this is the act of worship that you struggle with or are struggling with now. What is God calling you to do to obey his voice that you're resisting? And I know this is a heavy word, but do you know what it means when we resist obedience? What's it called? Disobedience. So possibly you're, you're disobeying the Lord and his plans for your life, for your relationships, for, for sharing the gospel with somebody close to you, for loving someone. And it, it's hard, yes. May you be encouraged in knowing he's with you and he sees the outcome. So the disciples go. Now this is where the story gets funny. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the cult? How many think that's an appropriate question for the situation? How many think maybe it wasn't as nicely said as I just read it? <laughs> well, that's my donkey. What are you doing? What, could you imagine for a moment if tomorrow when you wake up and you're going outside to get in your car to drive to work, two dudes are there? <laughs> opening the car door. What? Dude, that's my car. What are you doing? And let's elevate it because this is an unwritten donkey. That's my brand new car. It still has brand new car smell. Don't go near it. That's not yours. And look at their response. Are you kidding me? This is all they can figure out to say. Four words. They replied, the Lord needs it. Well, I hope the Lord has insurance. <laughs> so what's going on here? Well, there's two things that we have to understand. The first is a little historical. The fact that the donkey or the colt was unridden 
most likely meant that it was set apart for a sacred purpose. So who knows, maybe this donkey owner was Jewish and was, was preserving this donkey for some sort of sacred purpose, a sacrifice at the temple, but that's a key thing. So this donkey is set apart for something special, but I don't think the special aspect is theft, but the owner has in mind, this donkey's gonna do something big someday. Like I'm gonna, this is gonna be a part of some sort of worship. And then when they say, here's the four words, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. What the owner of the donkey may know, because remember, Jesus has been ministering for a couple years now. Those guys may be associated with their rabbi, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. So when those two show up and they're untying the donkey and they get caught and the owner comes out, what are you doing? untying the donkey, and they say the Lord needs it, it's possible that the owner of the donkey knows, oh, the Lord you're speaking of is Jesus the Christ, the Lord. So in the Greek, the word Lord means authority, master, and look at this word, owner, owner. So it's possible that the owner of the donkey is now being told by two disciples of Jesus the Christ, the real owner needs it now. And what he does, or she, the owner, displays an act of worship that we can struggle with today. And here's the second act, generosity. Generosity. What moved the owner of the donkey to willingly give up an unridden donkey to two people who showed up and it looked like they were trying to steal him. What would cause this person to willingly say in response to four words, the Lord needs it, take it. It's yours. Something. This owner knows something. And it's what you and I have to know if we are to ever worship the Lord through generosity. I love the definition of generosity, showing a readiness to give more of something as money or time than is strictly necessary or expected. Generosity means I'm ready to use what's in my hand for the good of somebody else. So here's, here's just what I believe about this moment. When the owner of the donkey hears the Lord needs it. The owner remembers he's not the owner. He's a manager. And the owner, the one who made the donkey, the one who made the owner actually needs it now. <laughs> he's just been managing the resource until the Lord would say, I need that. I want to use that. Here's what I love about generosity. And so many of you know this because you are radically generous. When we live generously, we get to play a small part in a bigger story. That's the beauty of generosity. When we live generously, we get to play a smaller part in a bigger story. But you know what prevents generosity? When you and I confuse management with ownership. When we think that we are not just managing what God has given us, scripture says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything, it's all his. You can try to, to like debate the Lord and say, no, I got the job. You'd say, who do you think opened the door for you to get that job? 
Who puts you in a place where computer skills matters? I could have made you in the first century, bro. Your computer brain wouldn't have mattered back then. In Acts, we read that he establishes times and boundaries for people to be born in. What did you do today to get you up? Were you thinking the whole night? Breathe. <sighs> Again. <sighs> he did that. That's awesome. But when you and I start to confuse being managers with what's around us, with owning it, do you know what we do with our stuff? We put our fist around it. We go close-handed. And because this donkey owner decides, take it, it's so true. Now, 2,000 years later, we're talking about some dude that owned a donkey. He got to play a small part in a much bigger story. What part might you play in a bigger story if you worship the Lord through generosity? Can I, can I share a few with you? Right now, there are children on the other side of that wall that are being taught the gospel. If you're a parent in this room and your child is on that wall, can you raise your hand for a second? Yeah. Your giving is making it so those parents can know their kids are being loved and taught the gospel right now. Can we celebrate that act of generosity? Like, you're doing that. That's just one story. You're, you have no idea what that's gonna do in their lives and in the parents' lives. When you give financially here, that enables us to have resources for those children. It's just one part. All those Easter invite cards out there, you made that possible. There's someone who is gonna be here next week that's gonna hear the gospel for the first time and their lives are gonna be changed forever. And you got to play a small part in a bigger story. Come on, that's awesome. So if you're struggling with being generous, if you don't trust the church and you say, that's why I haven't given financially yet, I would encourage you this. If you don't trust this church with your finances, you have got to find a church that you trust to give to. You have to. You, you have to be generous with your finances. You are called to that. It is an act of worship. And you get to play a small part in a big story. How many want to play a small part in the big story of the new building that's coming at Blaze Church? Yeah, you, you're going to do that. You're going to be a part of that story. So here's what we read next. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And Matthew tells us this, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. John tells us that the branches were palm branches. So if you're wondering why the palm branches, well, this is what they had in that first century. And it dates back 150 years prior when we read that the Maccabees overcame in battle and in that moment grabbed palm branches and it was kind of a sign as they waved them. So some of the history there as to, well, why this and why not like a, a oak tree? Uh, that's why. <laughs> the palm branch. And the palm branch symbolized nationalism for Jewish people. It symbolized Jewish authority. So don't miss this because hopefully these dots connect real quick for us. The Jewish people were expecting a national Messiah. They were putting their hopes in politics. They were hoping that Jews would rise up as the leading political party in the first century. And so when Jesus rides in, they take their cloaks off and hail him as king and they grab palm branches and start waving them as if to say, you are the king. 
and we know you've come to overthrow Rome. It's about time. It's about time. They, they missed the point. We'll talk of that, but here's what they didn't miss. Those acts of worship, I would put it in this word. It was submission. To submit is to worship. When they take their cloak off and they grab palm branches and they wave and they throw it out, what they're declaring through those acts is you're the king, you call the shots. I'm submitted to you. And they knew the prophecies. The prophet Zechariah says in chapter nine, verse nine, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. How many think that's cool that that prophecy was given more than 400 years before Jesus actually did it? That's pretty cool. It's pretty, that's pretty cool. They had the wrong expectation, but they had the right submission. What they were saying is, Jesus, you're the king. You're the king, not Caesar. You're the king. And I would ask you, when you pray, maybe you pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you really mean that? Because that's dangerous if you pray that and you mean it. If you pray, not my will, God, your will, you're the king. Your will in my life, your will in my relationships, your will in how I treat others, that's dangerous to pray. You really got to know, am I submitted to the will of the king? And I'll, and I'll tell you why you should pray that prayer in a moment. But let's look at the last act of worship. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, disciples began joyfully to praise God. Can you say that with me? Say, joyfully to praise God. Now say it joyfully. Ready, everybody? Joyfully. To praise God. In what kind of voices? Loud voices. For all the miracles they had seen, and here's what they say. They are quoting the Psalms. Blessed or if you want to be old school, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king. What does it say? They joyfully praised him in loud voices. This fourth act of worship is one we may be most familiar with, and it's this word, praise. Say praise. It's praise. Praise is an act of worship, to praise. Now, if you struggle with that, you say, I don't want to praise. I don't know how to praise. Yes, you do. You know how to praise. If you're a parent and your child does good on something, a test, passes a test, whatever it is, don't you know how to praise them for that? Hopefully. Put it on a fridge. We're going to friendlies. Jim Dandy for everybody. Good job. Come on, if your friend gets the promotion that they've been hoping for, we're going out to friendlies. Jim Dandy for everybody. Good job. You know, you know how to praise? You know, you know how to praise people when your sports team does good? Come on. I, you, I've been with some of you quiet on Sunday service and loud Sunday afternoon. Don't try to tell me you don't know how to shout. Some of you have an easier time praising your dog when the dog sits than when the worship team is singing all hail King Jesus. It's just thought. So does praise include singing? Does praise include worship? Does praise include loudness? Well, I want to offer to you just three verses where seven times there is a command that we see. Here's Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. 
Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. I, I, I love it because if, you, if you're a Blaze Church, you just gotta know, it's a praise party every time we get together. Now that doesn't mean your praise has to look like your neighbor's praise, okay? That doesn't mean your praise has to be full eagle. You might just carry the TV, that's fine. It's a heavy load. You might be somber. You might be arms crossed because you're trying to figure out what in the world is happening. That's fine, that's fine. You may sing out, you may not, you may shout out, but you have to understand what we have at Blaze Church is a culture of praise, a culture of praise. We take, these are verses we take literally. So if the people praise loud, it's why the music's loud here. We just praise, we just praise. Cause I know, I know I, we get in sport environments. We get in other environments and it's, it's fine for it to be loud there. It's fine for our neighbor to shout. But here we have tension and that's okay. And I love that our church is so diverse. Here's, here's my encouragement to you. If this is your church and I am your pastor, could you take a step in maybe a direction that makes you feel uncomfortable to express your praise to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that may mean that for the one, you know, I'm giving you one clap today, Jesus. That's it. One and done. Next week, maybe we'll double it. One hand up. Whatever, whatever it is. But I just want you to see, I, we're all coming from different backgrounds here. And I love that. I love that about our church, that we're coming into this place. But in a moment, we're about to sing All Hail King Jesus. And I hope everyone's got a palm. If you don't, steal your neighbors um, or we'll get you some. But we're gonna sing with our palms up as if it's Palm Sunday and we're gonna hail the king. And it may make you uncomfortable. I understand that don't do anything that makes you uncomfortable. Glad you're here, especially if it's your first time. Welcome home. But I wanna give you a little why behind the what this morning. So it's just the why. We praise because we see it in scripture. Not everybody praised that day. It says in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, the reason why the Pharisees were upset is because remember, everyone worships, right? The Pharisees were worshiping someone or something other than King Jesus. Most likely they were worshiping the authority that had been given to them by Rome. Because if there's a riot, the Pharisees lose their position, their political position of authority. So they, they don't like this too much. This isn't going to jive well with Roman authority. They're upset right now that these disciples would dare ascribe messianic worth. When they quote Psalms, blessed is the, the Lord and peace in heaven, they're saying in front of the Pharisees, you're the guy. And they don't like that. And so Jesus responds. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's savage Jesus. That's Jesus saying, listen, ain't no rock gonna cry in my place as long as I'm alive to testify his holy name. That's a 90s worship song we did in Sunday school. Jesus is saying all creation was made to cry out. The rocks will cry out if the people don't. It's poetry, but it's reality. It's why the psalmist says the trees clap their hands, the mountains bow down, the oceans roar at the sound of his great name. Is that shout to the Lord that I just quoted? I don't know. I'm feeling pretty good this morning. Shout to the Lord. I just got to bust it out. <laughs> Come on, I just, this morning, if I could just elevate your level of worship a little bit this morning, if I could just make you see, and here's why, because there is no other king that you will serve 
that was obedient, generous, and submissive. Your career won't do it. You all know your kids ain't obedient. <laughs> you, 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 you know that there's nothing that's generous towards you. Whatever you're worshiping, whatever you are ascribing worth to, that thing is taking, it's not giving. You are a slave to it. And that's why if the career falls apart, you fall apart. And if the relationship goes down, you go down. But not King Jesus. He says, I was obedient to death on the cross for God so loved that he gave his only son, that he submitted to the father's will. So why should you hail King Jesus as the king? Because he alone is worthy of our praise. Can we give our God some praise right now? Our worship team's gonna come and we're gonna sing out to our king. I wanna say this to you. You may not know King Jesus as your savior today. He, he may not be your king. You may have never confessed, forgive me of my sins, be the Lord of my life. And in this moment, you are hearing of a king. Do you know why he rode into Jerusalem? The Jewish people thought they needed a Messiah from Rome, but who they needed was a Messiah from sin and death. You and I don't need a political Messiah. We don't need one that comes and says, I'll make you good. We don't need one that says, I'll bless your life with riches. You don't need that Messiah. You need to acknowledge that you need a Messiah that says, apart from me, you are lost in your sins. But because I came, you are made new. You are born again. I am the savior of the world. He rode into Jerusalem, not to sit on a throne, but to be nailed to a cross. And this Friday, I encourage you, Blaze Church, be here Friday at seven. Parents, bring your children this Friday at seven. May our families be together in this space as we celebrate communion. One service. Do you know what's gonna happen if all of you and all of the 11 comes out for one service? Do you know how beautiful it's gonna look when it's standing room only? Because you did fill this room in one service and the 11's gonna do it too. And we knew that because we said on Friday, the curtain comes down and the people of God just gather and just worship the King. The one who died for our sins. So I wanna invite you right now, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, scripture says, Romans 10, nine, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, God, raise Christ from the dead, we will be saved. As a church, we're gonna pray. The power's not in the prayer, the power's in the person and his name is Jesus. But as we pray, if you wanna know King Jesus today, you're saying, I wanna be saved, I wanna be forgiven, I wanna be made new. We are gonna pray as a church and I want you to raise your hand boldly to the King as he says, I am making you new right now. So church, can you say this with me? Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Today, I give you mine. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Blaze Church, let's worship our God who is saving people right now as people are coming to know King Jesus.